Everyone should be so lucky to have a slice of homemade lemon cake offered to them in a moment of extreme embarrassment. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. On this episode of Awesome Etiquette, questions about courses, cash bars, gym schedules, being a guest in your parents' house, our very first voicemail from a listener, and finally, how not to let etiquette isolate you. All that plus a postscript straight out of Emily Post's etiquette from 1922, coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be a part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. I, well, I will be, okay, two things. Let me just stutter while I start. (laughs) First of all, just a quick catch up from last week's lateness debacle. Dan figured out where the miscommunication was. You want to tell him what happened? Good for you for remembering. And Dr. Jesse Ritvo out there with my early morning (laughs) text to Lizzie. Um, Hopefully this explains all. So always remember when you do send a text to someone letting them know that you'll be late, that you send it to the right person. (laughs) Noted. 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 Um, But I wanted to talk about my amazing – we don't do our fireworks on the 4th. We actually do them on the 3rd here, which I always say is for my best friend's birthday because she was born on the 3rd and she grew up here. But um, it's actually just because that's how we do it in Burlington. And I got the wonderful opportunity to take the Evans boys, who I babysit for, who are 5, 8, and 10. 10 to the fireworks. And I think their parents thought I might be a little bit crazy trying to take three very young boys to a very crowded place. Good for you. (laughs) I have to say, I think it was my favorite night of the summer so far. Their behavior was impeccable. Please describe. It was I'm still floored by it. I mean, I told their parents how floored I was by it. I told them how floored I was by it. But I was amazed. We were definitely going to a very crowded place where there were going to be a lot of distractions. Most of the things that get set up at our Champlain Valley Fair come to the waterfront. So it's like fried dough and Al's French fries and all these, you know, food vendors and the stupid fair toys, you know, like blow up things and glow bubbles stick necklaces. and glow stick necklaces and everything. Yeah. And so I was prepared that there was going to be a lot. Of, I want that. I want this. I want that. None of it. Absolutely none of it. I couldn't believe how content they were to. We walked through the crowd together and the oldest one led the way and kept an eye out for us. And it's really crowded down there, too. It's, it's a it it's a scene. Very crowded. And Archie, the littlest one, he held on to my hand the whole time. And Ronan stayed very close. He's he's the middle-aged one. And they did such a good job of keeping close. Ronan picked out our spot for the fireworks. We laid down our picnic blanket, and the boys all ate their suppers. We had fried chicken and corn on the cob and watermelon nice. and cookies and potato mm-hmm. chips. And nobody fought over which piece of chicken they got. Everyone ate their dinner. They were content to just be there, which was amazing. I had expected there was going to be a lot of distractedness, and it wasn't that way at all. 
And how did they like the fireworks? Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. <laughs> they were so excited. About, and it's from the time we got there to the time that we actually watched the fireworks was probably about two and a half hours. Yeah, so it's a while. It's a good amount of time. And they did want to go look at a couple things, and it was great. We kind of, like, worked out how we could do the things we wanted to do and get someone else to watch our blanket and just make sure that it was not like, oh, the boys are going to go off alone or anything. It was, I was just impressed. It's late by the time the fireworks go off. Well, it's- so, 9.30 start? That's the other thing. Like, I'm used to putting the littlest one to bed at, like, 7.30, and it's 9.30 that I'm keeping him awake until, thank goodness for sugar. And it was like, he was so well-behaved. No tantrum. No, I'm too tired to and meltdown. They were all so excited. And they all just, they let safety play role number one, and then they took care of each other. One of them at one point dropped his fried dough that we had gotten, and the other two both offered to give him theirs, and he was like, no, no, you guys should have yours. So he's, like, making sure that they get their full fried dough. Wait, it gets better. So what? <laughs> it gets better. The oldest one then turns to me and says, Lizzie, we should really get him his own fried dough again because he would really like that. Looking out for his brother, tell, letting me know what the best thing would be to make his brother really happy. So we did, and everything was great. So I, I'm starting to— It's get, unbelievable, get, get, right? But, I, but I'm starting to get a feeling you must have done some prep work. There must have been some advance, this, some advance work that went on before— The car ride—that's a good thought. This exemplary evening. I don't know what their parents told them, but on the car ride in— we kept it really simple. We talked about what to do if we got separated. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote because they know their parents' phone numbers by heart, but they don't know mine and their parents were going to be out on a boat. Um, I wrote my phone number on their wrists so that yeah. they had it, which they thought was totally cool. Yeah. I didn't even have to ask the littlest one to hold my hand. He just did it. It was like they just kind of simply knew, which tells me. Their parents are really excellent parents. And having been around this family for quite a while now, I absolutely know they are. I see how they parent, and it's remarkable. So I just – I want people to have faith out there that we have a generation up and coming that – There are great parents out there giving their kids great skills to behave out in this world that we all interact in in a really positive and excellent way. In behalf of little boys everywhere, I want to thank you for taking them out to see the fireworks. (laughs) I grew up pouring over the Blue Angel catalog. I would ask my parents to drive me home through different states so I could stop at the fireworks store. Um, It's so much fun. You are your grandfather's grandson. (laughs) You are born on the 4th of July. He Mm -hmm. was. And um, you are a good sitter. And we all appreciate it. <laughs> well, it was awesome. But with all of that, we should probably get on to some of our listeners' questions, you think? We probably should. Okay. <laughs> You're right. There's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn. But it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. I liked our first question because I'd never been asked it before. And so I always it definitely it's always good to get a question out there that you've never been asked before. It was a very simple question too, one liner. Is it okay to have your starter super salad twice and then your main dish? V. I don't see any reason why not. If you particularly like soup or particularly like salad, um, 
Having just said that, I see maybe one or two reasons why you might not. Sure. For the most part, I, I tend to say enjoy your meal. And if you want two salads, have two salads. A meal where you're eating with a number of people and there is a prescribed number of courses, I yeah. wouldn't want to order so much food and order it in a way that it was holding up other people's main course. Okay. Um, or disrupting the appetizer service. But if there's going to be a soup course and then a salad course and then a main course, Having soup soup main course or a salad salad main course shouldn't bother anyone else. It might seem a little unusual. So in a, a an ultra formal situation or maybe a business situation where I'm trying to keep the attention and the focus on the conversation that we're having or the relationship that we're growing, I might defer to a, a more expected behavior. <laughs> but again, with family and friends, if you're not holding anyone up, I don't see why not. Your host here is someone who loved salad as a child. The salad bar was my favorite thing. <laughs> showed up at a restaurant at a salad bar. I was in luck. I loved it. So if you really love salad, have two. But again, maybe under more formal uh, business situations, keep the attention on the conversation you're with. Order a bigger salad. Order one. Remind yourself there's going to be another opportunity some other time. And don't hold other people up. But otherwise, enjoy. Makes sense to me. V, I hope that helps you at your next big meal. Our next question has to do with how you handle a cash bar. Hello, I'm attending my 50th school reunion in a few months, and one question I have is I'm attending with my girlfriend and her boyfriend. If we are standing in a group, say four people, and a guy offers to go get drinks at the cash bar, being single and having no date, should I offer him my money for my drink? Then what if he does not take it? Do I just say thank you? My girlfriend and her date don't drink. I am going to have to have something to calm my nerves. Thanks. <laughs> this is one of those awkward scenarios that I have often found myself in being, I don't want to call it the third wheel, but the third person in a group. And often you're not sure what to do because the issue she's dealing with is the couple that she's going to this reunion with don't drink. Mm -hmm. And so when they go to the bar to order their drinks, often their drinks will be free or they will be much less expensive. Yep. So the question is when the boyfriend decides to be a gentleman and says, let me go get drinks for you ladies, does she have to offer okay. up cash so that he's not constantly paying a whole bunch of money for her when he doesn't drink and it's not even his date? And I think the best way for her to handle this is to actually – Offer, say, hey, let me give you 10 bucks for that or something like that in the moment. And then he can say, oh, no, no, no. Or, oh, sure, that would be great. And either one is truthfully fine. Okay. Let's say she misses that step. She's in conversation. He just goes up, knows that she wants a, a vodka soda or something like that, brings it back for her, and she's delighted. Later on, she could say, hey, Jim, I'd love to give you 10 bucks for the drinks. I really appreciate you grabbing them for me at the bar. I know it's a cash bar tonight. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really the way to handle it. Don't get so caught up in the beginning of – Oh, my gosh, how is this going to be? It's perfectly OK that you drink and they don't and you're going up to the bar. I don't think she needs to have the conversation in the car on the way there um, because then it's presuming that he's going to make the move <laughs> of offering to go get them drinks all night. Um, so I say wait until the moment and offer some cash. Our next question has to do with being a guest in your parents' home. It begins. I love your podcast and was introduced to it by my college-age daughters, twins, 19. Both of whom are podcast junkies. Could you address the issue of at-home family etiquette for us? What are reasonable expectations for our family regarding the fine line between being a messy teenager living full-time at home versus young adults seeking autonomy and freedom but returning home for the summer? Of course, we want our home to be a place of peace, comfort, relaxation, and respite for all four of us. 
In truth, my husband and I have gotten quite used to a more orderly, kept, and organized home while our daughters were away at school. And while we will always be mom and dad, we would like, too, for them to realize that our lives have changed, as have theirs. How do we encourage and communicate certain expectations regarding cleaning up after themselves, bathroom cleanliness, and overall respect for our new normal? While I continue to be a full-time household manager, my job description no longer includes maid, cook, and house cleaner. Please discuss the etiquette of young adults returning home for the summer and the role of parents in making them feel at home while understanding the many things have changed for both parties. Both of our daughters attend school quite far away, so winter and summer breaks are the only time they return. Frequent weekend visits are not part of the equation. Thank you for your insights and helping us all navigate the path to responsible young adulthood while remaining a close and loving family unit. Sincerely, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. I love the fact that your daughters turned you on to this podcast. And now the question is, how do we deal with the daughters being at home? Um, I remember very vividly going through this with my own parents. I even remember my mother at one point when I was in college telling me I am now a guest at home. And I remember how truthfully painful and offended I was by that. Home is a place of sanctuary for kids. It is a place where as you're navigating this new world that often is very difficult, you know, sometimes home does start to really feel like a place where, you know, you can just feel safe and feel comfortable and everything. But um, I'm, I'm going to defend you, Kathy, as a mother and say that doesn't mean that it's a place to leave your dirty dishes and it doesn't mean that it's... And I don't want to accuse the twins of having done this because we haven't actually seen the house. We don't actually know. And they are wonderful podcast listeners. So I want to recognize that, twins. But um, it is really important to recognize that your parents have taken care of you for the past 20 years, 19 years in this case, and... They were adults once who lived without children and diapers and toys everywhere and then clothes everywhere and then dirty dishes everywhere. And they are very excited when you leave to go for college to kind of have (laughs) their house back. Um, They love you. They will always love you. They will always be incredibly proud and caring and want you to be around, but they don't want the mess and they do, they want things to feel different. So my suggestion is to talk about it. I think you have to be careful because what I didn't like hearing when I had this conversation with my mom was you don't live here anymore and you're a guest in this house now because it, it didn't make it feel like my home anymore and I didn't like that. So I think you have to kind of find a balance and I'm right now struggling in my head searching for the language for it so I can appreciate mm-hmm. our mom's concern and, and not knowing how to navigate this. But I think it's time to say to the girls, a part of growing up and going away to school is that for a little while before you start really living full years away from home, you're going to be coming back. And your dad and I have really gotten used to a different routine and um, a different style of living at home now that we're living at home without you guys most of the time. So here's the way that we'd love for things to happen when you come home. Um, You know, no, you guys don't have curfews anymore, but you do have to be quiet when you come in at night. I love having you. I'm happy to cook for you. I'm happy to buy all the groceries and the favorite things that you love. I know what it's like living on a college budget, but I really want help cleaning up. So dirty dishes aren't being left in the sink. They're going right into the dishwasher. List your expectations. For someone who's having trouble coming up with the words, that sounds perfect to me. Thank (laughs) you. 
you might acknowledge that regardless of whether someone leaves dirty dishes in the sink or not, just four people versus two people means twice the sweeping, twice the vacuuming, twice the Laundry, number of times yeah. cleaning the bathroom. And maybe it's about taking on some of that responsibility as adults and joining in in some of those tasks. You know, there's twice as much of this to do, and we would really like you to do half of it. And that wasn't a part of what we expected of you when yeah. you were 13, 14, 14, 15. Exactly. But it is now. Recognizing the difference in time. But we didn't expect it then. We are going to expect it now. And I think also... Also giving um, my mom does this when we throw a really big party and it's all family coming over um, and it really helps her to not feel overwhelmed. She gives tasks. So mm-hmm. you might say um, twin one, Jenny, I don't know <laughs> their names. Mm-hmm. I would love it if on Tuesday and on Saturday you would vacuum. But give them something specific so that you can feel like it happens, it gets done, and you don't just say keep the place clean. Yeah. That never works. Yep. Say I want you to do this and and tell the other one to do something else. It, and that way you know it's going to get done. They have to be accountable for it and it's very clear. It's the same advice I hear you give in How Do You Work This Life Thing, your book to, to young book. adults about getting along with roommates. And in some ways, your parents are learning how to interact with your parents as adults. You're learning how to be roommates. I like yeah. the way you're acknowledging the transition time in it's a lot hard. of this discussion because it is. It's, you're, you're, you're learning new roles. You're learning new ways to relate to each other. And these are long established patterns that yeah. you're going to be addressing. And I want to maybe leave us on a positive note. Do it. Th- this is definitely a transition moment that happens in lots of families. And I've heard other parents write about and describe very special moments when their kids come home from college. Maybe it's year one. Maybe it's year two. And all of a sudden, they're, the dishes are all done in the sink. And it's they, they've been living away just long enough that they really appreciate that roommate who wipes down the countertop after they cook. Or, or they can't stand the roommate the who does it, so they or, start doing those things. And you would be surprised. <laughs> the, the amazing it's little true. adult that might all of a sudden just appear at, at, at any particular moment. And I know when I was experiencing this, it would toggle back and forth. There would be days where it would be that responsible adult and days where it would be that less responsible teenager adolescent. And thank you to all the listeners in the family. Have a great summer together. Oh, I love this next question because I so understand it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's about your gym time being your time. Hello, I love your podcast. I look forward to it every week, and it's a great reminder of how nice it can be when we all remember to be a little more considerate. Congratulations to Dan on your wedding. I can tell from the way you speak about Pooja that you are smitten by her, and I wish you all the best in your life together. Here is my question. About a week ago, I ran into an old classmate from high school at the gym. I was never friends with this person and only knew him tangentially. In fact, I never recall us ever even having a conversation. It took me a second to remember who he was when we saw each other, but it was a pleasant interaction nonetheless. I was surprised when I got home and saw he had added me on Facebook and sent me a Facebook message letting me know which days he went to the gym and asking me when I would next be there. I don't know how to respond. Like I said, it was nice to run into him once, but I really enjoy having the gym be my personal time for an intense workout and don't want the pressure of having to coordinate gym schedules with this person. Even if he isn't trying to coordinate schedules, I feel that by letting him know when I'll be there, I'm inviting a longer exchange than the quick hello I would be comfortable with. I'm not an antisocial person, but as I said, the gym is 
one place that I really enjoy listening to music and focusing on my workout. At the same time, he seemed like a genuinely nice person and I would hate to embarrass or offend him. I also realized that I may be overthinking this small exchange. Perhaps he isn't trying to be at the gym at the same time as me. But in that case, I don't know why he asked. How do I respond in a way that's polite but doesn't send the message that I'm looking for a workout buddy? Anonymous. Oh, Anonymous. This is not an unfamiliar question to Lizzie and I. We definitely have heard versions of this question before. I know when Peter was doing his research on his Men's Manners book, the question of how you behave at the gym and how you treat and talk to people, particularly people that you might be interested in at the gym, reflects on you. Right. And for the record, Peter's general advice there was be very careful. Most, people, <laughs> most people's gym time is, is the way that you describe it here. It's really important to them and it's about their time at the gym. The, most people, it's not a mix and mingle social scene, although it can be really pleasant to interact with people at the gym. And if you're like me, you often feel really gross and sweaty and like maybe <laughs> this isn't your best, most lovely time to be in a 18-inch territory with somebody else having a nice conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. So first of all, just from the location where this encounter happened, you have every right to expect for that to be your personal time and to maintain it as such and protect it as such. And if you continue to run into this person in the gym environment, it's okay to say that to them. It's okay to say, it's great to see you. It's great to have had a chance to reconnect, but I have, I have a limited amount of time here. I really like to focus on my workout. I, I hope you don't mind or take offense. And that, that's a reasonable thing to say to somebody. For the second question of how you reply via social media, right. you are never obligated to interact with someone on social media. One of the great things about social media is how broad and how far-reaching it is that, that it really opens up our lives to all kinds of connections and interactions. And part of participating in that place responsibly is knowing how to regulate those interactions. And you're not necessarily obligated to accept a friend request or interact or respond to anybody through social media. But she's going to be seeing him in person at the gym. You're going to be seeing him in person <laughs> at the gym. Here comes the big but. There is probably some socially acceptable middle ground here. You can accept a friend request, but maybe not reply to the message. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I think she should reply, but I like the advice of it doesn't mean you have to answer the question specifically. You might say, you know, right now I'm off in there Tuesday, Wednesday, but not state the time. And then also say, but my schedule changes. Mm -hmm. But I, I think you can keep it light. Absolutely, you can keep it light. And, and I think that's one sort of step in that intermediate territory. How but about joking? Sorry, but how yeah, about no. joking around and being like, oh, I feel like I'm always there or oh, I feel like I'm never there enough, always trying to get there more. Hope I see you there sometime soon. Might work. Sometimes we say be careful about humor, writing mm -hmm. humor. It can be hard to hear the particular lightness of tone <laughs> that comes with that inflection in the voice. And smiley faces. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, and you could definitely play in that territory. You yeah. could give a non-committal answer. You could give an answer that was non-specific but acknowledge the question. And you could also decide not to answer at all. And that would send a very clear and particular message also. And I personally don't think it would be rude to ignore a message that came on Facebook because you didn't solicit that message to begin with. That wasn't something I'm assuming that you asked for when you had this encounter but with But what him. about the fact that on Facebook you can see when a message has been seen? So he's going to know that she's seen the message. Mm-hmm. And that's why it would give a pretty clear message to this person that you're not trying to further this interaction or engage it any further. It's really going to be a personal choice. So you do have the option of not engaging 
Lizzie Post is really good with the direct approach. And <laughs> and there is a direct approach option here also where you can accept or reject the friend request and you could reply with a message that says, you know, I, I really like to focus and keep my gym time, personal time where I'm concentrating on my workout. Um, I don't mean any offense. I hope you can appreciate that. That's another way that you might approach the situation. You really have a range of options in social media. You could not respond. You could respond directly but with a very firm um, – definition of your boundaries and limits. You could respond with a lighter reply that was noncommittal or you could decide to share your schedule and try to develop a new workout buddy. And I hope you continue to enjoy your workouts and I hope that I can get to the gym as frequently as it sounds like you do in the future. So we're very excited. This next question is actually our very first voicemail from one of our listeners using our new phone number. And we're very excited. It comes from Danny in Toronto. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. This is Danny from Toronto. Uh, thank you both so much for sharing your expertise and your insight with us. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. So my question is related to my mother-in-law, who is an absolutely lovely, kind, generous woman. She visits my husband and I quite often, several times a month, and each time she comes, she brings something. So sometimes that that thing can be clothing, kitchen appliances, uh, food, and those things are sometimes not necessarily our taste or our style. Uh, Sometimes I suspect it's something she's purchased for herself and has decided to pass on to us or picked up at a yard sale, and it is cluttering up our house. I don't like to get rid of gifts that people have given me. However, it's really challenging because she very often brings things to us. So, Dan and Lizzie, how do we graciously ask her to stop bringing items as they are cluttering up our home? Thank you both, and congratulations on the success of your podcast. Take care. I love it. It's such a classic question. Um, I think that Danny really has a couple of options, which is great. Yep. Your mother-in-law does visit frequently. So I always suggest you keep the gifts around for a two- to three-month period maybe. And then it's okay to kind of cycle them out. And I'm getting the sense that these are gifts like – Tea towels, vases, you know. That's my impression to tongs that, yeah, for the barbecue. Things for the barbecue. It's okay to every quarter clean out your house and kind of pare things down. You can talk about that this is a part of your MO. You know, this is just a, a little bit about how you work. If she's wondering where things go, oh, you know, we just kind of did a paring down and we realized we had three sets of tongs or we had so many tea towels. And so, you know, it was just – Time to clean house. Amazing how well honesty works. It is. And I also think that the second approach I would take with this would be to talk with your husband about potentially having a conversation with his mother that she – because she visits so frequently, maybe a gift only once every couple of times she visits or that consumables are great. That if she wants to bring a pie, that would be really wonderful. Something simple and light and just say, mom, you know, at this point – We've got so much stuff in the house that we're really all set. And what we would just love are your visits. And it's totally okay. Once again, you nail it with the sample language. I think that's a a really kind way to bring that up because it can be a sensitive conversation to give someone direction around gift gifting. I love the idea of consumables. And maybe if you know it's a repeat thing, you can give a little bit of direction. Maybe it's – I don't know, something that you don't mind getting multiple times well, a particular but tell, me, tell me something else because you and Pooja have started doing this thing to help pare things down in your house because a lot of the times you do 
get extra gifts. You guys do have a lot of visitors up at the cabin. Mm-hmm. They bring things. And you told me that you guys have a, a bin now that's your— As we combined two houses worth of stuff into yeah. one house, we, we keep a large box. That's our Goodwill Salvation Army box. And it's always a victory when you can cull through a drawer or a closet and start to add to that Salvation Army or Goodwill box. We, it's a victory. And let me tell you, you're not looking a gift horse in the mouth with this. You keep the items around for a little while, and then it is okay to clean house. It really, truly is. And you can still accept that gift with um, good grace. Oh, thank you so much. This is one. You can always use an extra tea towel. Thank you. We really hope that that helps, Danny, and we hope that you continue having lovely visits with your mother-in-law. And thank you for launching our new message Our service. very first question. It was so great to have it on the show. Our next question is one that Dan and I were really excited to answer because we think that um, it's one of the times where etiquette can become isolating. And we really thought this question had a lot of meat to it. Could be a whole podcast all by itself. Exactly. Dan and Lizzie, I simply love your podcast and wanted to thank you for reminding me how important being etiquette savvy is and in the long and short run making me a better person and reminding me how much more I can improve. I've been wanting to reach out for some time, and I'm sure it may be a question which resonates with many of your listeners and not just me personally. I find etiquette to be a double-edged sword. I grew up in a household where proper etiquette was valued at an early age, but I'm grateful that I have attempted to carry on proper etiquette as I continue to mature into my adult life. However, my problem is I find the majority of my friends, acquaintances, and business associates don't practice etiquette or understand the importance of doing the right thing. For example, let's just say I go out on a date. If I meet someone out for a casual meal and they lay their arm on the table while eating, or worse, don't put their napkin in their lap, I won't be calling that person again. Is it me, or can etiquette be an isolating experience that only a few can truly enjoy and understand? Am I simply being too critical when it comes to good etiquette, and should I overlook others' etiquette faux pas? Not only do I find myself disappointed by the actions of others, but I've managed to increasingly become disheartened. When it comes to etiquette, should I continue to do what I believe is right and try to be an etiquette example and not take others' lack of etiquette so seriously? I'd like to end with a Maya Angelou quote that strongly resonates with me. I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Kind regards, Eric. Eric, this is a, a really an etiquette champion question. and It's a difficult one. It's an experience that we hear about not infrequently. When, when I go to present and to talk about etiquette to audiences face-to-face, I oftentimes start with a word association game where I say the word etiquette and I ask people just to call out the first things that pop into their mind. And people's responses are, are so varied. They have very strong and very negative opinions. They love it and they really dislike it. And part of it is yeah. this, this feeling that it's a set of rules and those rules can be seen as something that, that binds us and holds us together. But some people can see those rules as things that separate us and keep us apart. And Or they're difficult or they're heavy. They're, they're arbitrary. They're unknown. Oh. Oh, gosh, I have to do that. Why can't I just be me? Exactly. And one of the things that I like to do early on is acknowledge that ambivalence, that range of feelings and reactions. And then I like to to really talk about the way that we approach etiquette at the Emily Post Institute. And we approach it as a combination of manners and principles. And you've got to have both for good etiquette to be in play. And the manners are the particular rules, the particular expectations we have of each other in a situation. They change all the time. But the 
general principles of consideration, respect, and honesty are also a critical part of good etiquette. And I think it can be important to have those different parts in mind when we have this discussion because it can help us be more clear about what we're talking about. And when you say I sometimes get disheartened or um, I find myself disappointed, when I'm encountering behavior that's not fundamentally considerate, respectful, and honest, I have a similar reaction. I, I want that to be what I see around me. But when I see people who aren't observing a particular etiquette rule, I tend to ask myself the question of, is that reflective of those core values, consideration, respect, and honesty not being shown? Or is it really just about not knowing the rule or being aware of the rule? Or and that just can having sometimes a momentary help. lapse. Exactly. A, a moment of lack of awareness, That's which happens like, all the time and doesn't speak to someone's intentions around respect, consideration, and honesty. It's like that time where I wanted to shout at the woman who was crossing the street unsafely. And then I was like, why don't I just shout at her? You should be perfect. Mm-hmm. And I want I want Eric, our listener, to think about that moment because I love what you're getting at here. You're getting at the idea of etiquette has these two parts. And one is these tiny little details that if you pay attention to every single one of them, things can go so smoothly and so beautifully. And you can come across so elegant in a lot of ways and uh, wonderfully poised. But I think also if you focus on all those little things, you might miss out on the fact that the person sitting across from you who forgot to put their napkin in their lap or whose elbow is on the table might be the most kind-hearted, wonderful person you could invite into your life. But happened to grow up with a different set of table manners than you did. Or just simply (laughs) wasn't thinking about it because maybe they're really excited to be on this date with you or they're loving what you're talking about from a business perspective. Or, and I will say it, Miss Emily Post herself always forgot which bread plate was hers and was (laughs) often seen stealing the roll from her neighbor. What if you were sitting across from her and she did it? You know. Well said. <laughs> and, and it is that there's this constant play between the, those particular social expectations that we have and how they reflect those larger values. That's why they're so important. And you're talking to two people here and Lizzie and myself who couldn't think that those small niceties. They matter. They really do matter. We don't think that they don't. In fact, we, we care deeply about them. But we also care deeply about how they illustrate those larger concepts and principles that we really think are so, so, so important. Well, I think actually more than how the Little things illustrate the big things. It's don't let the little things get in the way of the big things. And I think that if you start looking at the people around you and looking more for those larger principles of etiquette, that you might find a little bit more warmth in your heart and you might feel like the people around you are actually behaving in ways they might not have the particulars down pat every single time. But they also might be people who you you start to pay more attention to and you won't feel quite so isolated um, because it's that bigger part of etiquette, that consideration, respect and honesty that um, deep down the manners, they change over time. They change across cultural boundaries. But those principles, they always remain the same. So my advice would be focus more on the principles and know that the manners can be fun things that you simply know about that are fun to know about. And when you're doing a manners assessment, I think oftentimes it's most useful to use those for yourself. Yes. That that, that the, the, the most important place to do an assessment of a particular manner is in your own behavior. And Not someone else's. And in that way, it's going to be so empowering and so impactful because you're going to be really striving to embody those principles of consideration, respect, and honesty. And the more you can shine those out, the 
the better your relationships are going to be. So that's where that really tough critical eye is useful because it can really help bring those qualities into your relationships with whoever. Best of luck, Eric. We really hope that that helps give you just a little bit more confidence and and positivity towards the, the world around you when it comes to etiquette. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. Remember, we love updates. If we answered your question on the show or if you have a comment about one of our questions, please feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. Or you can now call in and leave a voice message on our Awesome Etiquette hotline at 802 866 0860. Again, that's 802 866 I'm excited because today's Postscript segment is an excerpt from the 1922 edition of Etiquette. I loved it because yesterday when I was looking for a Postscript segment, I decided to just crack open the 1922 edition and see what I found. And sure enough, the the section I opened to was page 322 and 323. It's in the wedding etiquette section. And it I, I just I loved it. It was this funny little section. And um, I think it actually has some interesting uh Interesting observations that Dan and I will talk about afterwards. So this is called When the Presents Are Shown. There is absolutely no impropriety in showing the presents at a wedding reception. They are always shown at country weddings and more often than not at the most fashionable townhouses. The only reason for not showing them is lack of room in an apartment house, in a townhouse, an upstairs library, or even a bedroom from which all the furniture has been removed is suitable. Tables covered with white damask, plain, tablecloths, are put like counters around the sides and down the center of the room. The cards that were sent with the gifts are sometimes removed, but there is no impropriety in leaving them on, and it certainly saves members of the family from repeating many times who sent this one and who sent that. If the house is so small that there is no room available for this display at the wedding, the presents are shown on the day before, and intimate friends are especially asked to come in for tea to view them. This is not done if they are to be displayed at the wedding. Very intimate friends seldom need to be asked. The chances are they will come in often to see what has come in since they were there last. Wedding presents are all sent to the bride and are, according to law, her personal property. Articles are marked with her present, not her future, initials. Mary Smith, who is going to marry Jim Smartlington, is fortunate as MS stands for her future as well as her present name. But in the case of Muriel Jones, who is to marry Ross, not a piece of linen or silver in the Ross house will be marked otherwise than MJ. It is one of the most senseless customs. All her life, which will be as Muriel Ross, she uses linen and silver marked with a J? 
Later on, many people who go to her house, especially as Ross comes from California, where she will naturally be living, will not know what J stands for, and many even imagine that the linens and plates have been acquired at auction. Sounds impossible. It has happened more than once. Occasional brides who dislike the confusing initials especially ask that presents be marked with their marriage name. The groom receives few presents. Even those who care about him in particular and have never met his bride send their present to her, unless they send two presents: one in courtesy to her and one in affection to him. Occasionally, someone does send the groom a present addressed to him and sent to his house. Rather often, friends of the groom pick out things particularly suitable, such as cigar or cigarette boxes, or rather masculine-looking desk sets, etc., which are sent to her but are obviously intended for his use. I love this segment. I love that this is what I was open to because it's a fabulous example of Emily stating. The current etiquette, the traditional、mm-hmm. etiquette, the whole thing about you know using her current name, and then smashing it by saying why it's totally senseless, and then giving us a one-liner about what you could do instead. Oh, occasionally brides who dislike the confusing initials, especially ask that presents be marked with their marriage name. It's like nowadays our editors would tell us to just cut to the advice, but she gives this lovely description. Oh, and of course she lives in California, not you know. It's like. It's it remarkable. It cracked me up. I loved it. I no, loved it, it. And you're right. That whole process of she outlines, then destroys, and then gives advice that might be just a tad scandalous about giving direction to gift givers,、right. telling people how to monogram the stuff they're going to be giving to you because you assume it's going to be monogrammed and assume because you assume have... the marriage is going to happen. <laughs> like it's fabulous. Okay, so as I'm listening to you, a, a new thing jumped out at me. What was it? Okay. Emily was funny. She could turn a phrase. She was. There's a lot of exclamation points. So there's in that. a line in there, and tell me if the other. Maybe this is me reading too, because I've been、it? doing、What、the research.、It? MS stands for future as well as present names. So she's talking about an MS、oh, standing for both married and unmarried、Ms. state. I don't know. I'm reading too much into it, but I love it. I think you're reading too much into it because I'm,、um, I'm not sure Ms. was because that came about in the 70s, right? Common usage. The U.S. government assumed it in 72, but it's existed for much longer than that. And I, I, I just started、oh, to I wonder. wonder if maybe that was Emily because she would name her characters Miss Toplofty, Miss Smartington. Ms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jumped out at me. The <laughs> other thing that jumped out at me in this particular one is how are all the grooms out there feeling right now? <laughs> <laughs> the gifts are all property of the bride by law. By I love law. that. That cracked me up.、But、obviously, the thing that really jumped out is her willingness to modify the tradition, to identify the tradition, the tradition、yeah. and for very practical reasons. I remember looking at my well, mother's old monogram towels and wondering what, what it stood for. But wait, <laughs> and let's also go back to the fact that we are looking at an era where you would display all of the gifts at the wedding. You would actually show what you received, what your household items are going to be. You might talk about who sent what, whereas nowadays, absolutely not. You don't do that. Much more discreet. Much more discreet. Also, it's not as much. We talk about this all the time. It's not as much about setting up a home. I don't remember the last time I saw real silver, like you know, from Tiffany's or something, or that had a monogram on it on a registry. I would love to give someone one silver fork. That would be awesome. A gravy boat. <laughs> yeah, like you know, 
I think that it really shows how things have changed. I think it's a wonderful example of how Emily was at the forefront of changing some things, that that wonderful piece about the monograms, but also just how differently we treat this wonderful occasion. It's still incredibly important, but the idea of getting giddy over and showing, I mean, we do it at wedding showers, but showing everyone your gifts and actually displaying them, having them over for teas so they can see what you got. It's just not done anymore. It's it's fantastic. Anyway, we hope to bring you more of these excerpts as time goes on. We think it's so much fun to... to Revisit Emily in her moment. Oh, and she's such a fabulous writer. But that's our, that's our Postscript segment for today, and we hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to call today's etiquette salute absolutely adorable. <laughs> it truly is. It begins... Hi there, Lizzie and Daniel. Thank you so much for your lovely and inspirational podcast. It's always a highlight on my podcast playlist. I'd like to offer an etiquette salute to the hosts of a baby shower I recently attended. That is, a baby shower that I tried to attend. I was invited to a baby shower for a former colleague, and after looking forward to the event for weeks, I managed to show up to the party a day late. I had simply marked the wrong date on my calendars. When I arrived at the house where the party was held, there were still baby shower decorations on the front door, but there was only one car in the driveway. I thought all the other guests were running late. (laughs) Of course, when the hostess opened the door in her pajamas and said I had missed the party, I was completely mortified. Not only did my pregnant friend think that I had flaked on her party, but now I was interrupting this poor woman's family breakfast. The hostess, whom I had only met once or twice before in passing, was incredibly gracious and kind. She invited me in for a slice of her delicious leftover party cake, and we chatted about the party, our friend's pregnancy, and our own babies. She snapped a picture of me looking embarrassed to text to our friend (laughs) and promised to pass on the gift I had brought. She even wrote me an email the next day thanking me for coming and saying how much she enjoyed our chat. I'd like to salute this hostess for transforming my most egregious party foul ever into a pleasant Sunday morning visit. Everyone should be so lucky to have a slice of homemade lemon cake offered to them in a moment of extreme embarrassment. Sincerely, Carolyn. That is just adorable. I love it. It's so cute. There's so much wonderful etiquette happening in there. I know. Salutes all around. (laughs) Carolyn, thank you so much for sending that in. That is exactly the kind of salute we want to hear about. And we are so, so happy that you have such a wonderful hostess in your life. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. That's our show for today. We're off to eat some lemon cake. As always, thank you for listening and spending some of your day with us. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And don't forget, there's no show without you. So send us your questions, your etiquette salutes, and your suggestions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or you can leave them at our new number, 802-866-0860. If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook, post it, and of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the amazing Hans Buto.